We've talked about different ways in which knowledge is socially constructed. What about social science itself? How is social science socially constructed? One way of thinking about it is to do a contrast between the 19th and the 20th centuries and to think about the relationship between social science and the natural sciences as, uh, as part of the social context in which the social sciences have been developed. In the 19th century, the natural sciences are seen as the model for the social sciences because they deliver objective knowledge through objective understanding of the world and above all they offer the promise of transforming the world on the basis of that knowledge. And of course in the 19th century a global industrial revolution is underway backed up by the findings of the new natural sciences. So you find that 19th century social scientists like Marx and Durkheim argue that the social sciences are a science in the same way that the natural sciences are, that they can deliver a clear and objective understanding of social processes and that social scientists and others can take that knowledge and use it to transform the world through a programme of benign social engineering or indeed revolutionary change. By the time the 20th century comes along, both the standing of the natural sciences as well as an understanding of what the social sciences are has changed and that dominant model of the 19th century has been rejected and we move from an era of positivist social science into what is broadly considered to be interpretive social science. The kinds of problems that the old model runs into are partly played out in the social world. There's a recognition that values and ideology run deep through the social sciences, that there's no way of getting them out and therefore claims to objectivity are limited. Secondly, there's a recognition that social science transforms the world that it actually looks at and in doing so the original kind of hypotheses and arguments of any social scientific enterprise have to be questioned once they're out there in the public domain. But perhaps most importantly in terms of social construction, there are very clear examples out there in the social world of the problems that can be generated by deploying the social sciences as a simplistic tool of social engineering. And I think most obviously of the Soviet economic experience of the 20th century in which an entire mode of production for a very significant chunk of humanity is uh, created out of a rather crude reading of what was always a rather crude account of economics in Marx's work written in the mid to late 19th century. By the time you start applying that in the mid 20th century to a backward agrarian economy, you end up with one of the great environmental and ecological disasters of the era. So there's a very kind of practical social sense in which some of the kinds of assumptions and arguments of the social sciences in the 19th century are cut short in the 20th century. The social science has been socially constructed historically through its relationship with other forms of knowledge and also as a particular area of study of disciplines and production of knowledge. It looks as if what you're suggesting is that some of the grand theories in social science might not have the same resonance, the same purchase that they once laid claim to. We're now going to listen to a quote from Francis Fukuyama about changing times and what he predicts as a very significant shift in the production of social science knowledge. We who live in stable, long-standing, liberal democracies face an unusual situation. In our grandparents' time, many reasonable people could foresee a radiant socialist future in which private property and capitalism had been abolished and in which politics itself was somehow overcome. Today, by contrast, we have trouble imagining a world that is radically better than our own or a future that is not essentially democratic and capitalist. Within that framework, of course, many things could be improved. 
We could house the homeless, guarantee opportunity for minorities and women, improve competitiveness and create new jobs. We can also imagine future worlds that are significantly worse than what we now know, in which national, racial or religious intolerance makes a comeback, or in which we are overwhelmed by war or environmental collapse. But we cannot picture to ourselves a world that is essentially different from the present one and at the same time better. For a very large part of the world, there is now no ideology with pretensions to universality that is in a position to challenge liberal democracy and no universal principle of legitimacy other than the sovereignty of the people. Margaret, is it the end of history, as Fukuyama argues? Where's social science here? I think the interesting thing about this statement of Fukuyama's talking about the end of ideology and the end of history is how totally shot through with ideology it is itself. I mean, he's careful at the beginning to say that he is talking about we who live in stable, long-standing liberal democracies. But in fact, his theory has been extended and applied far beyond that. And if we look at the social context and see the way in which these kind of ideas were actually a product of the Cold War and of the struggle between uh, these different ideological visions of the future, we can see that what he's saying is we have won. Our view of society is the view. There's nothing to challenge it now. And that's a political and ideological statement, not really a statement of an ideology-free, a value-free social science. I mean, so he's just stating uh, his own political position. There's a lot of it there. And if we look at it for the evidence which he's using and the scope and the comprehensiveness and the sort of things that we're asking students to do when they look at theories, we can see a lot of holes in this. Fukuyama has a very rosy picture of liberal democracies, rather in the same way as Tony Blair had a very rosy picture of the information superhighway. Yes, it's very much a, a kind of utopian statement, really. And it's also very restricted in scope, I think. It is extremely Eurocentric in the kind of view which it's giving. It's based on the experience of Western Europe and the United States. And if we look at other parts of the world, the analysis just isn't applicable if we look at Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia. Talking about the triumph of democracy and uh, the sovereignty of the people is, is premature, to say the least. Does it also suggest that there aren't any alternative theories, as well as ideologies, which social science can generate? Yes, I mean, even if we look at Western Europe and the United States, um, Western capitalist countries, he's ignoring the whole environmental movement, the women's movement, religious revivals and other kinds of alternatives which people are putting forward. It's a very rosy vision of capitalist society. A lot of people in capitalist society, I think, could envisage a lot of improvements the challenges within social science may come from the margins then rather than the centre, rather than seeing it as the development of new grand theories on a par with Marx and Durkheim, that there are alternative developments within social science which may not be grand theories but may still offer diversity and new forms of production of knowledge. Margaret Kylo, David Goldblatt, thank you very much. From the Open University... 
For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.